Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is a song uh, that I wrote with my friend Tom Douglas. I do a lot of collaboration and co-writing, and uh, it's called Grown Men Don't Cry. And it, it, a little bit of a story behind it, it came out of a book. The idea was that it was a coach of a basketball team, and the coach and the kid who was playing basketball, the teenager, were pretty close. And what happened was, in the book, he goes up for the last shot, and, you know, the team's down by one point, he gets the ball in and out, they lose the game. And the guy comes home, the kid, and his dad says, hey, you can be disappointed, but, like, stop crying. You're a man. Grown men don't cry. You know, so it's like that typical thing we're taught about. Women get to show all the range of their emotion, but if you're a man, like, suck it up. Be a man, you know. And so I always say if you read that, you could do three things. Either you could keep reading Like, that's no big deal one way or another. Or I imagine you could say, that's right. I agree with that. Suck it up. Be a man. Don't cry. Or you could do what Tom did. And then when he told me that I did, because we both have sons, like, why are you telling the kid not to cry? He missed the last shot of the basketball game. Our notion was that crying, male or female, is a natural human reaction. We do it because it happens, if you get what I mean. And so we just thought, wow, what a thing to tell your son, you know, not allow him that moment of uh, just feeling really badly enough to want to cry about it. He missed the last shot. So then, then we came up with the phrase, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry, which was kind of the secret to writing this song the way we wrote it, because it stated it in a way that said, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry, because here I am doing it. It it kind of was the phrase that gave us the way we were going to write it. So we thought of situations of, you know, when might you cry? And then I'll tell you a little more after. There's another couple of interesting things, but... shopping center and saw a little boy wrapped around the legs of his mother like ice cream melting they embraced years of bad decisions running down her face all morning I've been thinking my life is so hard and they wore everything they owned living in a car But I just got back in my suburban and drove away I don't know why they say grown men don't cry Keep having 
having this dream About my old man I'm ten years old and he's holding my hand We're sitting on the front porch talking Watching the sun go down But it's just a dream He was a slave to his job And he couldn't be around And there's so many things I want to say to him But I just put a rose on his grave And I talk to the wind I don't know why they say grown men don't cry I don't know why they say grown men don't cry Don't cry kids, my wife, everything I hold dear in my life. We say grace, thank the Lord, got so much to be thankful for. Then it's up the stairs and off to bed. My little boy says, haven't had my story yet. like that when he lifts his head up off his pillow and says I love you dad I don't know why they say grown men don't cry Mind if I take a tissue? No, go for it. Take a tissue, Doug. You know, the thing about that song that's interesting is we wrote the first two verses in like, I don't know, a day or two of getting together for five or six hours. Because if you remember, I said we started with this like, when might a grown man cry? You know, so the first verse is kind of about other people's pain. Uh, see this woman in the parking lot, they're living in their car. And, and it's a little bit of like, uh, I call it, you know, uh, there but for the grace of God go I. Like one, he's crying because he didn't help him. He was in a hurry. He was going somewhere. Like we, you know, we all face that situation where we, we see somebody in need and uh, sometimes you are so moved and other times you're running to something and, and the second verse is all about really me and, and my dad. My dad was never around. And when he was, it was almost worse than when he wasn't. But that line in it that says, um, there's so many things I want to say to him. I just put a rose on his grave and I talked to the wind. It's totally autobiographical because I, I left New York when I was uh, 1972. So I was 20 years old. And my dad died at, in 79 at age 57. And for probably the last five years of his life, we didn't really talk. You know, we had had that falling out kind of deal. We always said we were going to, like, get it back together, have that, you know, make amends, all that. And just we never did. And I got a call that he had had his third heart attack and just was gone, you know. 
And I stood at his gravesite in Queens, New York, and had the little talk with him. So that's what that line about put a rose on his grave and I talked to the wind because I couldn't talk to him anymore, you know. But the interesting thing about that song is when we finished the first two verses, we thought, okay, you know, there's that instrumental bridge where it kind of changes keys. And I said, we need one more verse. What else could happen that a grown man would cry about? And we talked about it for days. And we were, I don't know what's going to happen. You either have to get sick yourself or I don't know. And it never occurred to us till like three days later, wait, the first two verses are kind of tears of sorrow. Why can't the last one be like tears of joy? And it's so it's when you, I'm sitting here with my kids and my wife, I put my son to bed. He goes, I haven't heard my story yet. Hey, Dad, I love you. So when the guy goes, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. It's like you, you crying because it's good tears. You know, your kid said something that, you know, really resonated with you or told them they told you they loved you whatever it would be my point is always i don't care what kind of verse we would have written about tears of sorrow it wouldn't have been as good as making that switch to tears of joy so i always you know i did a songwriting workshop in park city last weekend and i always tell songwriters sometimes you're looking to change the wrong thing like when they're talking about rewriting or working on a lyric i said well sometimes you need to like just work on a little minute piece of a lyric and fix one line or one word. Other times you need to throw out the baby in the bathwater because we had three other verses that we wrote that we got rid of because we wanted to make that switch to tears of joy and all those other ones we wrote were tears of sorrow and they just didn't feel right, you know? So to me, that last verse makes that song, you know? The flip. Do you remember if it was a windy day when you visited your dad's grave in Queens? Oh yeah, it was actually. Yeah, I do remember. A long time ago. You remember what time of year it was? It was a spring day, but it wasn't a pretty spring day. Now, your writing partner was credited with witnessing the first verse sort of inspirational instance of the homeless mother with her mascara running down That's true. her face. So my co-writer, Tom Douglas, had the idea for the first verse. And the idea for the first verse is kind of universal. It was just all painting a picture of somebody who's hard on, their, you know, down on their luck and ha going through hard times and how you're coming upon them and what you're thinking. And the second verse, again, is about my dad. The third verse is more about both of us because we both raised daughters and sons. And so it's a, funny that we didn't think about that earlier on, but once we thought about turning that around to a positive thing, we just looked at our lives and said, yeah, sometimes I have a tear in my eye because my kid came home from school with an A. And so, yeah, Tom Douglas thought of that idea, the first verse, and then I chimed in. Interestingly enough, though, the second verse about the dad was the first verse we wrote. So we started out just kind of vamping. I'm sitting here in the porch and it's my dad. And we realized that well, that can't be the first verse, because if you end up at your dad's grave talking to the wind, where are you going to go from there? Huh. It gets pretty serious too soon. So the first verse is serious, but it's about someone else's troubles. And the second verse is more about your troubles. So there's an arc to it. you know. Very interesting. And so when it was finished, how did you find the voice that you wanted to sing it? So Tom, Tom Douglas, when we finished the song, Tom is a really good singer. 
I think of myself as a really good singer, too. But yet Tom has this folksy little, there's something about the way Tom sings a song. And if you don't know who Tom Douglas is, I mean, he wrote lots of songs that, that you would know. He did the demo in this case. So he sang, he did like a piano vocal. This hardly ever happens in the Nashville world of pitching songs. But the first person we played it for was Tim McGraw's. Not for him, but for his producer and his office. You know, they, all these stars have, like we call them gatekeepers. Because Tim McGraw doesn't want me calling him up three times a week. Calling, Tim, I have a new song for you. I mean, he'd literally kill himself. If, if, if every songwriter in town had his number, it'd be like crazy. So they have like these gatekeepers. So you have to get it through that first person or second, you know, a couple of people who like it enough to then play it for him. So the average uh, superstar, which Tim McGraw would count as, 35, 40 million records, they have like two, three, four, five people as gatekeepers who are listening to, and I'm not exaggerating, a thousand or more songs a year to come up with 10 to 12 songs that he might want to sing. And so they only play him out of the, now I'm guessing on this, but out of the thousand songs, they're playing him maybe less than 100. Although this was early in his career. Earlier. Uh, it was seven years in, so it was about 2000. Yeah. You know. And so you're playing for the gatekeepers, and how do they react? Well, in this case, one of them liked it. One of them didn't like it that much. I mean, that song, if, he you, was wrong. if you think about it musically, is not like sound like a, it does not sound like a big old hit it doesn't have a chorus it's got verses you know with that phrase at the end i don't know why they say grow men don't cry it's not a particularly commercial subject men crying you know so what happened was thank god one of the gatekeepers said you know i think tim would like that song mainly because of the second verse so without going into the whole story, if you know a little bit about Tim McGraw, you would know that he did not grow up with the name McGraw even. That Tug McGraw, who was a pitcher for the New York Mets, is Tim McGraw's biological dad. And his mom, I don't know the exact story, but his mom had a little, you know, weekend romance I don't even know all the details. All I know is that his mom kind of raised him initially as a single mom. And then she met this other guy. They got married, but they decided not to tell Tim as a youngster, as a three-year-old or four-year-old, about what happened. Because it makes sense. You wouldn't go into all that. <laughs> and then when he was like, again, I'm guessing 12, 13, 14, he found a birth certificate somewhere in the house, like in the back of a chest of drawers, and it said McGraw on it from the hospital, you know? And again, I'm guessing at all these, don't, don't quote me on all these facts, but, but that's basically the story. So he grew up till he was a teenager thinking this other guy who apparently raised him just fine. And, you know, that, that part's a happy part of the story. But when he found, when Tim found out, wait a minute, this other guy was my dad, you know? He apparently contacted him, Tug, and said, where have you been all my life? 
Like, how could you have, you know, helped father me as a child? And then you're going to have nothing to do with my life. And they had a lot of falling out over it. And then eventually they became very close. And when Tug McGraw died, Tim was at his bedside. But you can see why he liked that second verse. Because even, and I always tell other songwriters, there's nothing in that verse we wrote that's about Tug McGraw or my dad was a pitcher for the new, no, but that line about it was sitting on the porch, oh, but it's just a dream because he was never around. I wrote that about my dad. The point is, whatever those words suggest, emotionally, Tim McGraw latched onto them because of his story and not finding out Tug McGraw was his dad till later on. Do you feel like the song has helped you get closure with your dad? That's an interesting question. You know, it's interesting. I've written a lot of songs about my dad and growing up, and and that one is easy for me to sing without getting too emotional. Some of them are not so easy, you know, because I had a really rough situation as a kid. I don't want to get too into it, but, yeah, you know, my dad had his demons. He was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde sort of guy, and everybody who knew him, like, during the day thought he was the best guy ever, and he was. But when he drank too much, uh, he turned into the other side, you know. So I have some other ones that are a little more emotionally, like, meant to help me kind of deal with uh, my situation. We'll we'll deal with those in another podcast. Sure. On the melody, is there any story behind how you came up with the actual music or you know, is that first or second? Uh, uh, sort of at the same time. And, and this song is what I call a lyric-driven song. So if you notice, I'm playing the same chords except for that bridge. You know, it's very simple. And it's a, it delivers a lot of lyric at one time. I pulled into a shopping center and saw a little boy wrapped around the legs of his mother. I think there's 26 syllables in that line. That's a lot of syllables. So it's a story song kind of thing. And the music is meant to accommodate that, but to also stay out of the way. So I always say nobody's going to, like, walk on Main Street here and hum. It's like not the greatest melody I've ever written. And yet it serves the song. It delivers a lot of lyric. And the part I think people remember melodically the most is, I don't know why they say Grown men don't cry. And that's really the part you're supposed to remember, you know? So we just kind of did it at the same time, which is sort of how I do it usually. I start with a lyric idea most often, but I'm adding music to the mix, like, pretty quick. Thank you, Steve. Uh, This has been really a treat and a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the work you do in our elementary schools around the country. Do you want to talk about that just a, just a little bit? I mean, I I, um, I wrote a song that we didn't get to do today, but it's called "Don't Laugh at Me," and it was turned it was turned into a um, a curriculum for schools. Uh, Mark Wills recorded it back in 1999, and then Peter Paul and Mary, and I started out visiting schools to do assembly programs just to talk about you know, respect and kindness with kids and mainly because of that song. And I still do that. I've probably been to over a thousand schools in the last 20 years, something I never did before that song. So a song can take you a lot of places. But about 15 years ago, I decided it'd be more fun to write songs with students 
And I started a thing called kidswritesongs.org, if you want to check it out. And we've written well over a thousand songs. Uh, I go to schools and I spend the whole day working with four classrooms of kids. And by the end of the day, we have a song here in Park City. I've been here all week at four different schools and we've written four songs. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's like my favorite thing to do these days. 